You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I'm on tour, as you well know, in spring and, as I look at my diary, almost summer 2018. So if you'd like to find out more about that, go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. And you have one week left to get hold of your Comedians Comedian podcast T-shirt with the incredible Thanks Man slash horse design designed by the brilliant uh, American illustrator Polly Becker. And so to do that, you can get to comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch. That's forward slash tour for the tour dates forward slash merch for the merchandise it's a fairly simple system if you think about it welcome to the show i'm stuart goldsmith and did i already say that god i'm tired uh, listen this is it, it's it's been pointed out to me that people sometimes start listening to this show having not heard other ones here's me assuming that the same 12 people that started listening five years ago are still on board plus others who pick it up as they go along so here's the skinny if you're someone who's not familiar with the show i take your favorite comedians one at a time and i push them up against a wall and shine a real flash light into the ear of their psyche and demand to know what they're thinking about why they're thinking it where their creativity comes from how they wield it and generally what the hell is going on in their lives and how they cope with being a human being and an artist that's the show today my guest is sean Patton. just such a pleasure to interview sean at the place hotel and my thanks as ever go to the place hotel at york place in edinburgh if you're a high roller you seriously want to be checking that out as a place to stay they're very kind to me and if you're a fan of the show and have got the necessary spondoolies then get yourself along to the place hugely excited to talk to sean i saw his show in edinburgh as you'll hear it wasn't under perfect test conditions but he dealt with uh, what happened on that night masterfully and he is someone who various members of mine uh, the uh, <laughs> the con con pod irregulars among the british comedy circuit the people who like to give me a nudge and go you've got you've got to see this person this person this lady or gentleman is hilarious he was someone sean that um, that Many of the irregulars pointed him out to me on many occasions and said, you've got to get him, you've got to get him. I hadn't seen anything from him. I deliberately didn't find out anything until I went along to uh, his Edinburgh show at the festival just past. And so had that brilliant... Have you ever been to see a film and sat there and thought, I know nothing about this? I've only done it once. It was The Game by David Fincher. A brilliant, brilliant film to do that with. To go and see something where you know absolutely nothing about it. So I sat there thinking, right, here's a Sean Patton. We're going to find out what this is. 
And lo and behold, what a torrent was unleashed of beautiful, poetic, lyrical, kind of jazzy, jazz-inspired or infused or enthused, um, just really poetic comedy. Storytelling, but storytelling with such an exciting mixture of the profane and the, if not sacred, then uh, at least... Uh, meaningful. The profane and the meaningful. Bit less. <laughs> bit, bit of a less lofty title than it might otherwise be. But you're going to be a huge fan of Sean. I know you are if you're into the stuff I'm into and you're listening to this, so probably some of you are. Do yourself a favour. Check out Sean Patton before or after this conversation with the gentleman himself. I loved your show. Thank you very much. And I, I suppose this, the show that I saw... Yeah. Uh, was the one where there was a stag do, a stag party dressed in oh, superhero costumes. Oh, dressed in superhero costumes. And they came in one minute before showtime, and I was yeah. sat on the front row quite diligently. I love sitting on the front row if I don't know the comedian. Sure, I feel yeah, like yeah. I'm, You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, uh, I was sat there, and uh, as they, I nearly left. Do you know what I mean? Because it was like when it was a Friday or a Saturday night, mm-hmm. they walked in with like 30 seconds to go. You know who else nearly left? Me. Yeah, right. When I heard them coming in, it was one of these things where I was like, and I like peeked out and I saw one of them in a clown outfit. Mm-hmm. It was like a moment where I was like, I wonder if I could cancel the show right now. Because mm-hmm. th- you got to be fucking kidding me. But go ahead. I'm glad yeah. we didn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad we didn't as well because mm-hmm. I got to see someone mm-hmm. uh, completely master that situation. You totally bossed it. Oh, well, you were, thank you. It, I mean, it was great because <laughs> your your style of comedy, mm-hmm. is, I mean, I didn't know what I was getting at all. You've been, you've been recommended to me by multiple people and I'd done cool. no research. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to go and sort of, you know, experience the show. And when that happened, I thought, I wonder what's going to happen now. And from off stage already, yeah. you, it's not like you tore into them, but you just had absolute status yeah. and you just got them all. And they loved it. They stayed, mm-hmm. they watched the show. They loved it. You barely got to peep out of them after that first couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. talk me through what kind of gears you were using at that point. I mean, well, okay. This, uh, cause, cause I've done, I've done my research on your podcast as well. <laughs> okay. uh, which I was going to tell you, but then I, we were recording we're and already, I didn't even see all- it happen, which is... Which is one of the things the comedians tell me about your podcast. Like, you never know when he's recording. <laughs> <laughs> you never know when he's listening. No, but um, so I, I, this, this is, this, ah, there's going to be a lot of therapeutic moments for me. Um, one of the things I like the least about stand-up is, the, is having to do crowd work or banter. Because I think we call it crowd work, you guys call it banter. But like... I don't mind. I like it when it happens naturally in a good moment where, and, and I, and I like it when it's not, you know, heckle based when it's like, so, like, for example, last night, someone cheered at a very inappropriate moment in the show, but only cause they didn't know okay. what I was about to say. So, but they cheered in reaction to something which only made what I said next that much better. Gotcha. And we had a quick moment of like that kind of crowd works great. But the kind where it's expected, where people fucking show up and sit up front in goddamn superhero outfits or with a silly hat on or like, it's the drunk, you know, the bachelorette or the bachelor stag or 10 or when it's like expected, get the fuck out of my face with that bullshit. Take that, go to a fucking bar and just let drunks do it. I hate it. It's so fucking boring. It's the same shit over and over again. Look how dumb you look. Oh, gee, where, how gay are you? That mind-bending riff 
that we all end up finding ourselves, myself included, guilty of in the past of doing. You know, they're like, oh, where are you from? That's where all the idiots are from. Who's getting what? Who's engaged? More like this person's engaged. Who's the carry in the group? Sex in the City reference. It's the same fucking boring bullshit that I have no it it boggles my mind why anyone would want to be a part of that right so when I step out at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival which is as far as I've been told my entire career thus far the most prestigious highbrow festival of the arts and I see a fucking, as you call them, which I'm, I'm going to try and take this back to the state, the stag party. Yeah. It, just sounds, it just sounds more like what it is. Yeah, yeah. Fact, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I see a fucking stag party in costumes, my instinct is to just take them down. And if it has to happen, the entire show with me. Like, I was willing to suffer the consequences of it then being an awkward, bad night. Unapologetically. I knew what I was doing. But it's one of those situations where it's like, and I don't think that they, I think I lucked out. I think we all lucked out in the audience as well, because they were the good, they were that one percent, two percent good stag party. They were actually there for a show. They were actually there for a show. But, but as one of them pointed out when I was asking, they did expect to just be rattled, to be riffed on and noodled and canoodled and poked fun at. That's, that's what they, that's why they show up. To a comedy show dressed that way. Yes. Yeah. And I think part of, um, part of what yeah. I saw in the night, and I think part to do with what you've just described, is because you were prepared to yeah. take the show down with you, and that's a right. lovely way of uh, describing it, because there is, it feels so much, I think, like a personal attack. We're yeah. excited about the show, and at the last fucking second, right. you go, "Oh, great! This is going to ruin it." Well, I'm going to ruin it. You know, whatever, whatever you know, or that, right. that instinct that I, I find I have to struggle against sometimes. But I think your, your, I think what came across was. Your resolve in like, well, I'm happy for this to go wrong, gave you the ability mm-hmm. to take risks yeah. and consequently meant that, that you, has, you yeah. came across as really bomb-proof, you know? Well, that, well that, what you just said, I think, is actually, is, it, it should be anyone who really wants to do comedy professionally. It should be your, like your, your mantra, your core belief. It's like, you should always be willing to take the show down with you. <laughs> you should. I mean, because, I mean, and look, like, I'm not saying do it every time you step, step foot on stage, but, like, I, I mean, you know, I, I, I do this because, I mean, I, I fucking love this. I love this craft, you know? And there are some brilliant comedians who focus mainly on crowd work out there. There are some brilliant guys who, you know, the, the Todd Glasses of the world, the, um, but, but he's another beast. He, he's, sure. he, he's, he, he's almost like... It's almost like sometimes you wonder if he even realizes if he's on stage or not, yeah. or, or or if he always thinks he, it's, it's it's brilliant. It's just like let him go. Yeah. He's almost like a wild animal. It's like let Todd go, man, and just observe the beauty of it. Uh, the big Jay Okersons, you know, he's a fucking Jedi. It's like, you know, he, but it's almost like he writes jokes because he knows he's going to interact with the crowd. Yes. You know the. Uh, the, uh, you know, Moshe Cashers. The, I'm, I'm only naming Americans here because I'm, I don't know that many. Sure. You know, I'm not that familiar with a lot of British comedians. With the, uh, Daniel Kitson, I've seen do some brilliant crowd work, but I've also seen do some brilliant, yes, giant 20 minute bits, you know? Sure, sure. And that's what, I, for me, that's just what it's about. It's about like, I want to see, when I'm watching comedy, I want to see the idea. I want to see what your idea is. I want to see what you're presenting me with that is. 
going to like open me up. That's going to make me think. That's going to make me laugh because I'm taking this ride with you, right? So I want to do the same thing. And I work very fucking hard on those ideas. So when I get in front of a crowd and then then right away there's some drunk asshole who just wants me to call him an idiot and point out that he's Welsh and that he bones sheep or whatever that fucking stereotype that I've now heard 30 comics bring up that the Welsh have sex with sheep, apparently, which I guess is the equivalent of our entire South being, yeah, sure, you know, sure. you know, like, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's right. Exactly, uh, it's a thing, but it's a thing when you walk out there, you're like, I don't, why do I have to deal with this fucking bullshit? Yeah. So point, point being to your point is, but you should always be willing to take the show down with you because in my opinion, let's just hypothetically say that show had gone fucking horrifically awry. I had offended that group. Everybody felt awkward. There was a weird back and forth. Now, uh, some people left, but here's the difference is that I'm such a fucking maniac that even in those moments of dire, horrid, whoops, I fucked that all up, even in those moments when the show is sinking with me, I will still commit to doing the show. So if I would have done that, I know you would have been in there and you would have appreciated it. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's at least one, you know, like, if you get that one person who really loves it, maybe they, you know, maybe, maybe you're going to lose the other 49 people in the audience, but you get that one person, who knows? Then they tell five of their friends. And then the next thing you know, next time you're doing the show, yes. 10 people are coming who've all heard. Yeah, it has to be. You know, heroic. you built this. You build the thing. You gain actual. I'd rather perform in front of 100 fans than 1,000 people. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. You know, so it's like, or, or, or 100 believers and fans of comedy specifically mm-hmm. than just people who are like oh a comedy show yeah well anyone on tv let's go find out yeah, but it is it's you know it's the uh, the the tragedy of every comedian i guess that yeah. you know you can't start with the fans no, no, <laughs> you know you have no. to work your way through all the of course of course yeah yeah and also but yeah like what what, what, what you saw that night i mean there's definitely less of an act of bravery more of an act of just like sheer fucking psychotic like Insecurity, really, but it maybe isn't that what all how all bravery starts out? Yeah, right. You know, just <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of a children's crazy, story yeah. where the like the parent says to the little rabbit or whatever, it's like, can I? <laughs> no, when I get this, I feel this. I'm connecting this with the comedian Tom Tuck in my mind. Maybe he told me this. And like, you know, can a can a rabbit? But daddy, can a rabbit still be brave when he's afraid? That is the only time a rabbit can be brave. That's a hundred percent right. Yeah, 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 right. So well, let's talk about the ideas. Yeah. You said your the idea and your commitment to the idea and wanting right. to hear what someone's idea is. Right. The show that I saw, I felt like I felt like it was two half hour stories yeah. that were beautifully intertwined and you know that were lo- like really uh, exciting narrative loops and then but they contained a lot of stand up stand up just right. punchy stuff. It wasn't like a storytelling show right. in that sense. Talk to me about the, the, the kind of the relative weight of the ideas in the show. Well, I mean, uh, the idea of the, the reason why I'm at this festival, and I'm going to say this, I'll say this three weeks in, I love it. I, I, I really do. Like, I, and I see why I, I, I completely understand why a lot of people, a lot of American comedians have come back just like, nope. Okay. Nope. A lot have come back. Loving it, you know? Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, if you booked a show that was, uh, contained the comedian, the American comedians who've tried to talk me out of doing this, <laughs> you could charge 75 pounds a ticket 
because it'd be a good show. Yeah. You know, okay. uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, um, but I get it because, you know, it's a different beast. It's like, you know, it, it, we don't have reviewers really. Sure. And that sort of thing in the States. We have, you know, comedy critics and people write up that. But American stand up, I'm sure you've had this conversation. You know, it's just, you're, it's a different expectation. It's not supposed to be connected or even that similar every time you perform it. When you're headlining, it's just, you know. It's just whatever you do. You turn up and you do your Or you just, you don't, your, your ideas can, it can be a bunch of non sequiturs mm-hmm. strung together or a bunch of, you know, I think every comedian likes to have a flow in their material, but the only thing really connecting it all together is the comedian themselves. And, I, and when I do clubs in the States, generally that's what I do as well. You know, bits, bits, and I change it up every night. Because the audience, the American audiences aren't expecting a theme, really. Mm-hmm. They're just sort of expecting to laugh, right? Which is great, because then you get better at making your shit funnier, you know? Making your ideas hit more and mm-hmm. more solid and more, more streamlined and more like, bam, humor, 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 humor. Mm-hmm. But the idea of doing a show with a narrative and a theme and an arc, like, that's hard to do regularly in the U.S. as a comedian, so that's what enticed me about coming here was like, I've always loved that idea. And the few times I've seen it executed well coming up, it was like, man, like that's something I really want to do, you know? So I spent the past year or so working on the show, the show you saw. Um, and, you know, the theme really is just my bedwetting and my OCD, how it, they tied together to kind of shape me. And then through that, you see, you know, I use the stories you've seen that were big monumental moments in my life that like kind of changed me and made me who I am. So it was about identifying those things. Like, what do I actually want to talk about in my life? That isn't just bullshit. That isn't just the time, you know, I got, yes, we've all had our heart broken, but what about more than that? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, what about some actual experiences? And then, and then, you know, what ties these together and why do I want to talk about this and what does it really showcase about because when I first wrote the show it had nothing to do with my OCD because it's a hard thing to talk about because it sounds so fucking insane it really does and it sounds some people think I'm kidding or some people think I or some people think I'm like making that kind of shit up but like I had a there was a dude two nights ago who afterwards we're at that bar across from my the little bunker bar and he came over with his mate and they were saying nice things about the show and the guy was like oh and I just want to say in parting uh, I'm a psych I'm a psychotherapist fucking bang up job describing OCD yeah he's like because I get a ton of people who just come to me and assume that they're obsessive compulsive when they really have no idea what it means yeah. so and you clearly do and I was like yeah thank you thank you psychotherapist <laughs> <laughs> As time progressed, it just became more and more obvious. I was like, I have to start talking about this. I really have to get it out there. And then, bam. So that sort of came to be. But, like, the, the best, you know, uh, how, do, how can I say this without, well, I, I'm about to do the thing that you told me. No, please do. Uh, this sounds so pretentious. But the moment the comedian becomes, a, the moment of a, a rhythm or a, uh, gets too dominant in your set is the, mo- the moment boredom will start to set in for the audience. The moment rhythm becomes too dominant. The moment they can predict your... I think the moment the audience gets like, okay, this guy's set up, set up, punch. 
set up set punch. Okay. Okay. This guy's longer winded. But the moment you, and I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think it's a thing. Just from because there are comedians out there that I've seen who in twenty minutes will blow my mind, are just fucking spectacular, but who in forty minutes I'm fucking dying. I'm like, please wrap this up. I get it, you know. And vice versa, there are comedians I've seen who in twenty minutes it's like, what the fuck is going on? But in an hour, I'm like, well, please don't get off stage. Please keep going. Please keep going. So it's like, you know. So for me, it's like, don't. I try my hardest to never let the audience identify my rhythm, subconsciously anyway. Never let them see, like, like, I don't want to ever be predictable on stage, right? So with a show like what I'm doing here, I feel like I have, am, am fighting the nat Because predictable, it's a natural thing in any performance. It's a natural thing that starts to happen. You start to fall into a rhythm and people start to pick up on the rhythm. And the next thing you know, you're all on the same. It's that sort of thing when you're watching a show and everyone's just like, ha, 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 ha. Like, it's almost like you feel it's like the whole show is on autopilot. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying we've all experienced that both on stage and off where you're just like everyone's in this. It's almost like you can. And then da, 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 bah. Good night. Like you can just kind of feel it coming. Nothing wrong with that, but that's just kind of that's kind of the natural progress of it. <clears throat> I say fight against it. So I don't want I want the audience to at one moment think, but here comes another one of those. Oh Jesus Christ, what happened? And now we're wait, what? What? We're upside down? And then the next moment, oh God, okay, if this is how it is, fuck it. I'm here now. <laughs> I'm in this crazy thing. Whoa! Now we're ah, ah, ah now I'm laughing again. Yeah. In a way that I, I didn't think I would again. Where before I was laughing, oh, you better just laugh to keep this monster at bay. And then you laugh because, oh, it's not a monster. He just had a mask on. You know, so I know that sounds insane. I don't do any mask work. <laughs> no, I mean, but, I'm, I'm just wondering whether this is, is there like a, a, an exponent of this sort of thing within comedy that you've gone, oh, I, I've noticed this person doing this. Yeah. Or is it something you've discovered for yourself based on what you didn't want to do i mean the obvious obvious analogy to draw is like you're the only person i've had from new orleans on the show and uh, you've just described jazz and masks and you know (laughs) that's pretty good i wasn't thinking about that at all but yeah i mean like you know like i i I feel like yes there's there are elements in my show that are very dark and uh, that are very like non-traditional and dare i say even emotional but for me, don't, if you, just the right amount of that highlights the comedy. You know what I mean? It makes it all that much. And I, I think that's any great comedic piece you've ever seen from stand-up at, from a fucking 10-minute set to a two-hour movie even. Like, the right of, the, the, just the peppering in the right amount of drama, the right amount of, like, actual raw emotion only springboards the comedy to the next level. Yes, there are great absurdists out there and observational humorists, so you maybe don't see the, the emotion on the surface there, but it's there in some way, you know? Maybe it's behind it. Just go, 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 jokes, jokes, all about you. Some p- people like myself want to kind of put it out there a little bit more. Just like, here it is. This is some harsh shit to just sort of stomach right now, but trust me, in a minute, ha-ha, see? But... I don't want the audience to know that. I don't, I don't want them to ever feel 
I like keeping them on their toes. And that's sort of the biggest critique I've gotten of this show, which I, people say it to me like it's insulting. <clears throat> and I'm like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> Go on. Uh, is, is like I was confused as to how to feel. Like, yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. Because that meant you weren't bored. And you're going to be thinking about this for a minute. Yes, and you weren't just yeah. you weren't just going. Yep, this is the rhythm, and now this yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. And now there, there'll be a lull. You'll be, and then you'll be, be able an emotional to... climax, right. and then we'll wrap up. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the sort of thing. But that's this. Like I said, this is a show that's hard to pull off in the states. So once I kind of got it, you know, the bones of it and the meat. Once I got it to where it was at, ready to walk, you know, I was when you do clubs in the U.S. I, 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 I don't want to feel like I'm ever like. Mansplaining, <laughs> yanksplaining. America, yanksplaining. <laughs> so this is Sean. Tremendous fun talking to Sean. Uh, we'll get right back to him in a second. In the second half of this interview, just a quick reminder: the tour dates, of course, comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. If you'd like to come and see me do my own stand-up comedy, and for those of you just joining us, yes, as well as being uh, an interviewer of stand-up comedians and someone who, in interviews, likes to try and make himself as invisible as possible and let the subject breathe, let them talk and spend a bit of time. Uh, I am also a stand-up comedian of, I have to say, some repute. (laughs) Is that the phrase? I think, yeah, I've got a decent amount of repute. Um, And I'm going to be embarking on my third national tour. So if you're in Britain and you want to come and get a piece of my pie, I will never say that again, then uh, come along to comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour and you can see the 40 odd dates I'm doing. There will also be some shows in London at somewhere or other. We're waiting for some people to get back to us. (laughs) And if you're a British comic, you can imagine who that is. Um, So thank you for those of you who've already been in touch and gone hey why aren't you nearer me listen start a base camp wherever you live and fill it with comcom pod fans or Stu goldsmith fans and get them to email me and and demand oh god have i just asked more of you to badger me yeah why not why not um, i'm trying to come to places where i think i've got an audience and we're building it slowly but surely year on year i can't wait for you to see this show one of the top 20 best reviewed shows at the edinburgh fringe this year out of something like a million shows something like a million shows so come along and see those uh, last chance for comedianscomedian.com forward slash merch to get hold of the t-shirts if you'd like to and remember all of the cool people that you know who listen to this podcast all like to regularly subscribe and donate to the show at comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate and they either do that with a one-off donation of sometimes five ten twenty pounds or whatever you'd spend whatever they'd spend indeed on a a, a high-priced bottle of wine to celebrate a special occasion and you can determine that amount yourself and uh, and chuck that on my bonfire (laughs) i think i've got a bit mad i've been driving for a long time and i've sat in my car in somewhere that claims to be yelverton and yet is absolutely not yelverton such are the vagaries of a life on the comedy circuit um so someone is coming towards my car now and they're looking suspicious i wonder if they are going to make contact with me apparently not they're walking past and now i feel bad what they are going to do is tip a load of bottles into the recycling what a fabulous time this is so can you hear that that's some recycling happening live on the comedians comedian podcast now as i i mean Look, I mean, okay, I can see she's clearly got about 30 bottles left. It seems like a great opportunity to... What, have I got anything on bottles? (laughs) 
This is so lovely. I can't not do this. Talk about jazz. Talk about uh, rolling with the circumstances. Um, maybe I'll take this opportunity to talk about something breaky. Yeah, those are the wine bottles, right? If you want to donate, then this lady has clearly been buying a lot of wine. Something, something, something. You should donate to the show. How's that? That's all I can come up with at short notice. Um, I think she's nearly done. And that's the last of them. And we're done. So, what a lot of fun we've had. Let's get back to the interview with Sean Patton. Um, I will deal in the postamble after this show with a little bit of personal business and indeed some of your reactions to last week's very invigorating interview with Mr. Reginald D. Hunter. So, do listen to that if you haven't already. Let's get back to the fabulous Sean Patton. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Like, I came over to England uh, earlier this year to do, because I have agents over here, and I was like, I want to, you know, I want to do clubs. I want to see the clubs. So I did all the glees. Okay. You know, and, and um, you see that it's a, it's a different thing here. The fact that you only need 20 minutes to headline mm-hmm. is amazing, mm-hmm. but mind-boggling. Because <laughs> in the States, you need at least, you need to be able to do at least 45, yep. and there's not going to be a break. You're going to have to, like, by the time the show gets to you, the audience is on in that, need, they're at that tip. Oh, yeah, either they, they need a break, or you need to bring them... S- so much to another level of enjoyment that they forget that they need a break. Yep. You know, so I think I I think bookers in both countries need to like have like a fucking meeting and like decide a new format because I agree with elements of both. You know, I think the American shows are shorter and there's more of like a build. Yep. But I feel like the pacing of with of the British shows with the breaks and the absence of wait staff, mm-hmm. uh, kind of I don't know, like keeps them engaged a little longer. Yep, because they get to get up and smoke a cigarette and take a dump and yep, you know, get some oh that's fucking garbage or oh that was great whatever and go back reset. But anyway, point is. Um, when you do the clubs in the States, you do similar. You do five to seven shows over three to four days. So I would have to, like, pick the right show. Because sometimes when you do a club, you walk out and the entire audience is that stag party we were yep. talking about earlier. You're like, there's no fucking way. I'm going to trust them. So I'm just going <laughs> to batter them down. Just hit them, fucking bludgeon them into laughter. 
and then good night, get off stage as soon as you and, know. And is that is that a case of changing the material that you were planning to do, or is yeah. it a case of changing the the performance of that material? The both. So. Like this show that you saw that we we're talking about here at the fest, there's a, there's there's so many bits of mine that are stand up bits that I could just erase when performing this. I could just take out all of the like emotional thematic part, yep, and just focus on the bits, give yep. you know, and just and just to punch those up, just to solidify those a little more, just to make those more powerful. And then if I but if I got out there and you could see it was an audience of like because there's this belief. There, okay, here's two things I wish everyone would stop thinking when it comes to comedy. A, that younger audiences are better audiences. That is horseshit. That is a, I don't know why the fuck. Like, a, get a 19-year-old audience? No fucking thank you. A bunch of people who have no real life experience and only laugh at fucking loud beeps and buzzing sounds, basically. I mean, no offense, but, like, I've performed in front of, like, you know, colleges in the States. It's some of the worst fucking audiences I've ever been in front of and it has nothing to do with the whole PC culture nonsense Mm -hmm. it's all about the fact that they cannot really understand what you're talking about Mm -hmm. they've been through very little life at that point also that drunk audiences are better fuck you I hate a drunk audience drunk drunk makes you more confident Sure, it'll make you ha, 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 laugh a little freer, but also makes you stupider. It makes you slower and less able to process what's actually being said on stage. That's why you notice drunk audiences only laugh at, you know, sexual slash relationship based slash who's the president that we all hate jokes. You know, fuck that. Give me a fucking stone cold, sober 28 year old crowd. Now we're talking, you know, they've got some life and they're actually listening. But anyway, uh, so sometimes it's hard. But if you get out there and you see that good audience, you can be like, oh, I'm going to trust you guys with this and go for it. Doesn't always pay off, but sometimes it would. But that means I was really only able to do it one or two nights in its entirety at every club. So it was like harder to consistently develop, yes. which, which makes me appreciate what the, what the, what the, what the UK comedy comedians do by developing a, an hour every year where it's like jesus christ that is like yeah you know what i mean like nose to the grindstone fucking face to the fire like there's no there's kind of it's kind of just like well here's the show i've been breaking my ass making this happen let's hope you like it you know it's like fuck that is crazy but it also makes me appreciate it like what what goes on at this festival that you see people Going up with something they've been working on for the past year, and it's being judged. It's being torn apart in some cases by these fucking reviewers. And who are they? And it's funny because you hear, you know, you go to all the performer bars. You hear, you you hear this in the same sentence. You will hear, "Oh, nobody fucking watched. Nobody cares about the reviews. Don't worry about the reviewers." Oh, you got four and a half from the Scotsman. Oh man, congratulations! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like you just told that person reviews don't mean shit, and then the person next to him that their fest is set because they got the four and a half star review or the five star review. It's like it's so it's these things that people simultaneously ignore and yet live their life by, and it's like. Been a year working on this material, and you expect a fucking a profound. Ah! <laughs> so I can understand how this festival drives people mad, but at the same time, I love how it what it brings out of people. But anyway, point being, I hope I've answered your question because I feel like I've just fucking pontificated 
off into another realm. <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. We're all you know? still. This is all absolutely yeah. on uh, within within the realm of, yeah. uh, of the of the podcast. Yeah, I think um, I'm interested to know. Yeah, um, what. Uh, this guy, I've got a couple of things. Got Please. a couple of things lined up. I've got to choose do it, do what it, do order it. I want to do it in. Let's talk about <laughs> some of the. Um... I've got an order. I've got a lineup. Yeah, yeah. Here. I got a lineup. What am Let's I running? See, who's going to open? Who's <laughs> opening? Who's opening this show? So the something I think is quite interesting about your show is it did have a certain. I don't know quite the, what the word is. It's not scatological. It's not dirty. But oh, it's, it's definitely it's graphic. It's definitely. It's definitely like. Filthy. Like I tried to describe it, I said, "I oh, so great." It's two half hours. Yeah. One's about bulls, and the other one is <laughs> about <laughs> farting. With, yeah, you know what I mean? I didn't want to open this interview with that no, because no. I wouldn't want people to switch off. Because yeah. I, I then immediately said to my friend, "But that doesn't even describe it at all." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, okay, that that interesting point because I've I've also because of the, of the reviews I've gotten. Okay, there's two reviews that I've gotten that have been three star reviews. That were very fucking nice reviews. Like I can't like the, the both 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 reviewers said wonderful things about me. A three that reads like a four. Welcome exactly. to Edinburgh. Exactly. <laughs> but said what? <laughs> fucking. Oh God! I hear myself saying this. I'm like, oh God! I wonder how many times this sort of sentence has been at no, every no, no, like. No, like, like is, you know, it was a two star, but trust me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> read it. But they both no, no. they both said the official position on this podcast is that reviews yeah. don't exist. There's no, okay. so, there's no such thing as a critic. There's no such thing as a comment. Well, so we can talk about it. In there a, it goes. All right. <laughs> so, uh, but they but they both said like wonderful things about me as a performer and all this nice shit, but they both dropped the star level down because of the, to them, the, the, the material was quite uh, icky. Mm, icky. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, I, I, this, this sounds like the most pretentious thing you're going to fucking hear. Um, that is not entirely not by design because um, I do not like pretentious, any art form. Go away. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I do not, uh, subject matter, in my opinion, cannot, you, you really, execution is key to me. You, originality is in execution, right? So, farting, having genitals, uh, wetting the bed, all these things that I talk about in the show that are very, you know, basic uh, 101 you know lowbrow as some people would say yes but they are all things that every single human being experiences every single human being experiences these things across the board across the racial divide gender divide class divide we all know exactly what these things are and i think I discuss all of these things in the most highbrow possible way, right? I, like, and I've researched certain things. I mean, this is giving away a joke in the show, but I don't care. I researched the concentration of pheromones in a human fart. That's a factual thing I talk about on stage. That, like, you could walk through someone's fart and without realizing it, all of your, every single bell in your subconscious has gone off and you are now sexually and, and emotionally and all across the board aroused and you don't even realize it. Yeah. You know? And if you ever saw the person who farted again, just their natural pheromones that come off their body would, would 
you'd immediately be attracted to them based on the fart you smelled earlier that you didn't even realize happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. it's like, oh, it's, 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 but like that, when, when, when you just, how many fucking people, people get fucking doctorates to discuss this sort of shit. I'm not saying I'm on that level by any means. I'm simply saying I'm not just talking about farting and then going, ha farting, right? Yeah. P.U. Those things. I find the thread that's like, no, this is yeah. why I'm discussing and, it. And I also, you know? for the sake of people who haven't, who are listening to this, who haven't seen the show, mm-hmm. um, it, yeah. it's not simply a case of like, your fart jokes are better researched, but they're also, oh, they, yeah. they are within, you know, this, this, this whole thing of you talking about your OCD oh, yes. yeah, and yeah, talking yeah. about your yes. bedwetting. Yes. It's almost like the, the, the basis of the material itself is icky and confessional and yes. consequently emotive and yeah. meaningful. Yeah. No, well, thank you. Why don't you write? Could, I know you said reviews don't exi- no, exist, no, 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 but could no, that no. be? <laughs> I'm, never go, I'm never going there. <laughs> I'm never going over the wall. <laughs> uh, thank you. Stay on this side. Um, but that, well, that's another thing. I know you said reviews don't exist, but then I got like one really, one really great review, and it was from a reviewer who they were like, oh, God, this guy's terrifying. Oh, God, if he comes to your show. Oh God! He, oh God! He just—he hates everything. Sure, he's gonna tear everything apart. And he gave me like a sterling review. So it was yeah. a moment of like, oh, okay. The fucking the the beat the warrior the warrior sees that I <laughs> that I can do battle. You know? Yes. But um, but yeah. I mean, subject matter is important. That is a fact, of course. But it's also about how you execute it, right? So I mean that and that. I mean Jesus Christ, we can across the board. That can lead to so many arguments in common. I mean, with, with certain, th- you know, rape jokes, uh, you know, racism jokes, you know, things, anything, wherever. I mean, yes, subject matter can initially be very like, ooh. And even for me, I've had times where someone brings something up on stage and it's like, whoa. But then if it's properly executed and if it goes somewhere, awesome, awesome. If someone gets on stage and their opening joke is, fuck the comedian Sean Patton, that fucking piece of shit. Of course, I'm going to be like, what? But if they really, if they, if they, if they execute that well, if they may highlight some things, I'll be like, ah, oh, god damn it, they got a point. <laughs> that is funny. God damn it, I am annoying. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so that's what I look at when, when, I was, when I was writing the show and coming to Scotland with it I was like man there are going to be some people there are gonna, I know I know there are going to be some haters on, on that level because there are some people who can't watch comedy beyond a premise that's a fact you know it as well as and, I and were, you, were you kind of intimating earlier on that part of the, the pleasure for you or part of the, the point of including that stuff yeah. is almost as a, as a deliberate flag for you to recognize if someone is offended by that, then yeah. you don't care about them. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. But also, I mean, look, I say, I say this a lot. It's on my website. But, like, at a certain point, what are you doing comedy for? You know? My, uh, I, I like to expose the beauty of human flaw. Right? It's the one thing we all, it's the one thing that unites us all. We're all flawed, disgusting individ- humans. Pretending like we aren't, and I get that. That's part of society, but we are all bound by one commonality, human flaw. And I love it. I love reveling in it. It's the, it'll save us. Accepting it will save us one day. So for me, right now, for this show, the, the, the flaw part that I really wanted to talk about and bring up was 
the disgusting side of it all. And also, but also, like you're saying, how it connects to a mental disorder I have. Yes. And how it, you know, shaped a lot of who I am. But basically, how, how do I, I'm trying to think of a, whew, these are those moments where you're like, say this carefully, <laughs> but not really. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to please everyone. I don't want to. I don't fucking care to. In fact, I choose not to. You, it's not possible. You cannot please everyone. And if you attempt to please everyone, you become mediocre. There is no need for any more of that. The only way to truly be good at what you do is to do what you do. And focus on what it is. And know that it will turn people off. Know that some people aren't going to be into it. Know that some people are going to give you a shit review or walk out. Know that you cannot... You do... <laughs> but know that for every person that doesn't like what you do is the person who loves what you do. And then you please them. And then they give you great reviews. And then they love your shit. And then they love coming to see you live. And then... That's what you do it for. You've, you've not compromised. You've stayed intact. You're an artist. You've created. Your integrity is there. And you are a happier, better, more amazing individual who makes better art, better comedy. And it gets to more people who need to hear it slash see it, whatever, because you're pure. Whereas if you go the other way, what are you then? Just someone who has to please everyone. Just someone who has to, across the board, make people. That's it. Fuck, fuck that. Fuck those people. They're not going to get you. Stop trying to make them. Make your own. Make, this is what I'm doing. Oh, look at how great this is. And let them come to you. That's how I look at it. So that's what I mean by design. I, I knew. I mean, this is my back at home, too. Like, I go on stage, and you know sometimes people aren't going to get this. People aren't going to, some people aren't going to get this or some people just aren't going to be into this, but some people are. Fuck yeah. Good for those people. There's 8 billion people on the planet. Don't try and fucking make them all laugh. You can't. I'm just staying silent for a second there, so I've got to clean out editing-wise, because that's definitely making the next compilation. <laughs> um, I, I Absolutely, I think that's, yeah. that's, that's completely right. I think that's invigorating. I think that's inspiring. Yeah. My question is, Please. how do you know that? How have you arrived at that apprehension of the situation? Because uh, I've, I've, I've been doing this a long time. And uh, I used to be that... I think every... I think a lot... I'm not going to... Uh, this isn't a struggle individual to me, but like I think every comedian when starting out, especially like, you know, when I moved to New York or when I moved to L.A. first and then I moved to New York, um, you try, you, you, you find yourself, there's this phase in your career, me personally, I found myself on stage just trying to crush, trying to kill. That was my sole purpose to get on stage. It was like, you got to get up there and you got to kill it every time. But then the more you do this, you realize that, that the more, to me, and this is just for me, killing is not the main goal. Being funny is the goal. And those are two different things. And if you don't understand what I mean by that and you're a performer, keep performing. Right? It's two different things. Killing isn't difficult. Killing anyone with any amount of skill set could kill. I mean, a fucking a monkey 
taking a shit on a snare drum will kill. You know what I'm saying? But being funny, now that's hard. Being funny is hard because being funny requires so much. It requires so much, sometimes subtlety, sometimes grandiose, sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, rapid, sometimes slow and deliberate. You know, it's, there's, there's no formula for funny. There's a formula for killing. There's no formula for funny. Formula is, I mean, funny is hard. And sometimes it doesn't get a laugh right away. Sometimes it doesn't get a huge laugh right away. In fact, the biggest laugh I see when something's truly funny is people fighting the laugh. Is that like, like even though they're at a comedy show where people have been openly laughing for however long the show's been going on, the laugh you see when someone's clearly trying not to audibly laugh, like they're trying in a way to almost like they're fighting it, that's when you know that they've found something you said truly funny because they don't know how to feel about it yet. They're a little worried that maybe even, oh God, should I be laughing at that? Or, oh my God, am I laughing at that? Or, oh my God, I'm laughing so hard at this, it might fucking embarrass me. Like, but that's, that's a, that's, I love that. I love when I see that. The problem is, oftentimes you can't hear that. You can just sort of see it and you're like, okay, shit. But, point is, uh, killing me. Oh yeah, so, I look at it like a night of drinking, okay? Killing is getting shit-faced, right? Yeah. And if you go out with a night of drinking with the sole purpose of getting shit-faced, that's easy. Just keep them coming. Bam, bam. Do shots of whiskey until you're vomiting, passed out, arrested. But you're, you know, in the street, wake up, no wallet. What happened? You got shit-faced. That was your goal. Anyone could do that. But going out for a night of drinking and having fun, that's being funny. That's the balance. Okay? That's knowing how much to drink, when to drink. Do I take this shot? Maybe not. Maybe actually, yeah, let's take a shot. Let's talk to this person. Sure, let's go to this other bar. All right. And you have this amazing night because you do it right. And then being shit-faced, that's the side effect of being funny. Or, I'm sorry, being shit-faced is the side effect of having a good time. Thus, as killing is the side effect of being funny. That's how I feel. So... You get a lot of industry that'll just tell you, you just got to get up there and kill it. And you just got to get up there and kill it and get up and kill it. But when you, I find that when you write for the sole purpose of just killing, you end up robbing yourself and the audience of any true comedy. You get to this point where all you're fucking doing is writing these basic bitch material. And I don't mean to offend anyone, but you know what I mean. You're writing this basic, just, you're hitting the well-tread territory. You're, the topics, the dating, the shit that requires no thought to actually comprehend. It's just the, the, the paths that many comedians before you have taken. And whatever. Some people love that. But, like, everyone who is a fucking legend in comedy, in my opinion, went the other way. Went the, I'm going to be funny, which means I'm going to take risks, which, mean I'm, which means it's not always going to quote unquote kill, but it is going to be funny. And that in its own way kills, you know? Absolutely. I think that's it. Did I make sense? Completely. Yeah. I think that's a very good analogy. And I want to, I want to talk to you in a, in a moment about your, about more specifically about the writing and your, your knack for analogy and your knack for language which okay. I think you have a fantastic use of well, thank you, as well. thank you. Um, before we get to that I just want to stay with this with the, the stuff that you just that you just yeah. said 
I totally agree with you. Yeah. Why you? Why is that important to you? What does it serve in you? To like you mentioned the right. guys who are legendary. Okay. Do you want to be legendary? What would it mean to you to um, be legendary? What was it? What would it fix within you that is currently? What would it satisfy within you? Man, that's a. What would it fix within me? Jesus, that's a that's a good one. <laughs> that's a, man, you guys can't see uh, Stuart's face right now, but man, is he happy with that? <laughs> man, is he happy with that one? I hate it when my guest points out what I'm doing. Simon, <laughs> God damn, he's looking like, happy <laughs> with myself. Uh, my clever question. Oh man, I mean, I don't know because because you know if we're if we're all broken in some way, isn't isn't being broken what we eventually isn't being broken in itself what is being fixed. See what I'm saying? So by that question, by that rationale, we're, we're all of us already broken. And the, what we perceive now as being broken was what actually us being fixed because it turns us into who we are kind of thing. Right. Um, my biggest people always ask what's your big, you know, you always talk about your biggest comedic influences. Right. And comedy for me growing up was not like sometimes I talk to these comedians who were, you know, I was watching, you know, the Bob Hope show at nine years old and knew I wanted to be a comedian. And that's great. You know, awesome. Growing up for me, I wasn't really exposed to that sort of shit. I mean, or that sort of thing. I didn't really, my parents weren't really TV watchers, you know, they were more, so I was just more of like a kid wandering around by himself, daydreaming, making myself laugh. But Growing up, my dad was a very funny man. My mom was very funny. My parents were hilarious, hilarious people. And I grew up in southeastern Louisiana. You know, it's a funny city. Everybody's fucking drunk and has got a real sloppy... Because a true New Orleans accent, truthfully, sounds more like if you like a New York accent, like a Brooklyn... You know, like a fucking New York guy. You know, hey, what, 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 what are you looking at? What the fuck? What, where am I from? I'm from right here. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Well, who's asking? You? Who the fuck are you? Take that guy or girl, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> if they're Brooklyn enough, you can't tell the difference <laughs> between the genders. They both, they all sound the same. But take that Brooklyn person and give them like five Valium, right? And once, the, once it sets in, now you got a New Orleans accent. It's just sort of a slow guy from Brooklyn with a drawl who's just drunk and fucking... Talking about hey, where, 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 where you got your haircut, huh? At a, a free haircutting spot? Shut up. <laughs> Fuck you. Well, who, hey, hey, nice shirt. What was it, a pair of pants yesterday? And you're like, what? <laughs> but like, it, that, those are terrible examples. But yeah. you, you know what I mean? It's just... Um, it's a funny story. It's funny right. vibe. The people in the street just, are funny. Just, yeah. and, and it's yeah. a place, you know, growing up, you see tourists coming and drunk and crying and wasted and... You know, showing up to family restaurants, expecting, you know, tits. It's just crazy. But um, my biggest comedic influence is the show Mr. Show, right? Bob Odenkirk, David Cross. I mean, shit. Also, Paul F. Tompkins, Jack Black, and Sarah Silverman are also on that show. But um, I saw it in high school when I was, you know, it started airing when I was like a sophomore in high school. And it changed me, changed me. Like warped my mind, like oh, like it was, and 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 everyone has this <clears throat> when they discovered the thing, but it like, I mean, it's beautiful to me. It's a that that show is a work of art from start to finish. Even the bad episodes are fucking beautiful. 
All right. And there are sketches they did, you know, this is mid nineties that they could never get away with today. They pushed the boundaries. They pushed the envelope. And the main thing they did, you notice, was that it wasn't like they never, for example, they never did impersonations of current famous, you know, politicians, for example. They just, and this Bob Odenkirk, I read, he was one, he wrote this book and I read, he pointed this out in their book and I was like, God damn, you're right. But they, they, they did impersonations of the archetype. Yeah. Right. Which repeats itself over yes. the, over this, you know, yes. for every Newt Gingrich, you've now got a fucking, you know, Steve Bannon. Well, they're not that different. They're not that similar at all, but they're both pieces of shit. Ah, fuck you guys. But they made a product with, I don't know if they did this consciously or not, but something that will live on forever. Something that you can watch now, 20 years later and still be like, fuck. That is funny because it isn't centered around, you know, uh, a George Michael impersonation or a Madonna impersonation yes, yes, or course. a fucking it's archetypal. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And to me, that that's the idea is like because you watch some stand up from like 20 or so years ago. And no matter how good it is, it's like, eh. you know what I mean? I don't it just doesn't reside. It doesn't resonate anymore because because Bill Clinton hasn't been in office for 20 years. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, I just don't, eh. But the idea of something that can live on, that's what it's about for me. That's what legendary is. And the idea of, like, how many times I quoted those Mr. Show sketches to my friends growing up. How many of my friends, by the time they saw the sketch or an episode of Mr. Show, knew it already because I'd fucking talked about it so much. And how many times... I would be, you know, in a weird mood or just not, you know, fucking wanting to deal with anyone. And I would put in Mr. Show DVD or as time progressed, log on to HBO and then fucking watch and just watch an episode just for like it. Be, it it's, it's Zen to me. That's how fucking great that show was. I'm going to ask the same question again, yeah. nearer the answer. But what mm. does what does that mean to me, to you? What would it like to become? I understand what you yeah. mean by legendary, the sort yeah. of stuff that people say to their friends. Is it to do with friendship? Like the kid that you were watching that? It sounds like it saved you or it felt like it healed you. And is it that you want to pass that on to other people? If I could, if I to could heal that kid, dude. If I could make one one person feel the way I did about my, what I do, how I felt about Mister Show, it, I'd be clocked out right now. You know, fuck it, done. Walk, you know, walk off. Give me a high enough cliff and a bottle of good scotch, and I'll fucking do the best friend show anyone's ever seen. When I jump off, <laughs> laughing the whole way down no because one I've has done that yet. <laughs> That's the one idea. <laughs> because I have fucking achieved it. For me, no. For me, it's about creating something that that people really feel. You know, that someone really just like, oh, like you relate to it, you feel it, and it and it guides you in a way that's like, you know, hey man, it, I'm okay. I'm not. The, you know, I'm not this fucking reclusive shithead monster oh i people think like me i'm just different i'm just flawed like them and there's something about you about yourself you begin to did you you feel like a monster i felt like a i mean i was i felt like a complete outcast for a lot of my life yes 
Still to this day, I do sometimes because still to this day, I go hang out at you know comedy clubs, and when there becomes like a when there, when like a comics table situation arises, I, I, I get a little weird about it because there's because that high school bullshit hierarchy comes out even in those situations. You know, and then you all of a sudden you're the you're the odd kid out. One of my favorite comedians ever is Maria Bamford. Okay, I adore Maria Bamford, and she. You talk about taking risks. There are few comedians out there who do a fucking special for just their parents, right? And I've heard so many other comedians shit on that, and it's like, why? Because she fucking did something truly funny. Because she took a risk, because she immortalized something in a way that just another person standing there with their one hand in their pocket and their other hand kind of lazily holding a microphone telling one-liners will never immortalize. And that's what I fucking hate sometimes about the, the comics table situation where it's like you start, people start shitting on something because it's different. It's like, we were all different. That's why we ended up in this situation. How are you shitting on something for being different? The goal is to be different. And then you realize for a lot of comedians, no, it is. No, it isn't. For a lot of comedians, it's to kill and make money. And that can be a little devastating when you realize those can be some of your, some of your peers think that way. They don't care about leaving a mark or even truly being funny. So I've, yes, I still feel like an outcast sometimes. But growing up, absolutely. I just felt like, Yep, nothing I say or think people like. And every friend I have is only my friend because I'm sort of a quiet, friendly kid who will just l- let them bounce their ideas off me because I'm just shy and don't have other friends. You know, so like, yeah, I felt like there was a thing about me that just felt like, well, I belong in the back of the classroom by myself or uh, alone on a you know weekend or week. You know, not 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 being at the part. I just felt like I was a loner. And then Mr. Show, for example, was just something that made me realize that, hey, what I what other people perceive as weird in me is actually cool. There's something else. There's another world out there that is like, oh, people think like this and even weirder and even more out there. I'm just a fucking I'm a novice in that world. You know, I'm just the tip of an iceberg. Do you now think that the kid you was yeah. right about about being a loner and a weirdo yeah do you do you think that was a fair appraisal of the situation or was that an appraisal driven by the fear and insecurity of being a kid Co- combination of the two but uh yes definitely of course fear and insecurity of being a kid always has something to do with it you know but definitely also i mean i still am i still am a loner i still like prefer to like, like I, prefer, I, I, I spend a good amount of my day alone by design again, you know, because I need it. I need that alone time. I take a one hour walk every single day. It's one of the first things I do every morning. One, I didn't do it yet today, but my plan is to do it after this. But that alone time, that walk, and, if I, and, and during that alone walk, if I see someone I know and they haven't seen me yet, I will avoid it. I will take a right or a left. Or if I bump in, someone's like, hey, I will act like I'm in a rush. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, I got to run. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Because I need that alone time. I need, it's just an hour a day. Because I got it so much as a kid, you learn, you know, part of my personality is rooted in it. 
in that time spent alone, I need to just sort of recalibrate myself, right? So yes, to answer your question, yeah, I am, by nature, I am a loner and a bit of an awkward person, but not as dire as I thought then, you know, and not as uh, tragic as I thought then, you know what I mean? It was just, I, I didn't have... I, I meet people sometimes who grow up in like, you know, f- grow up in situations where they have like that one friend or that one kid who kind of like pulls them out of their. And I didn't have that as a kid. I had friends, but none of them really, I guess, under got me on that level. They you know, the, the, the rescue friend. Yeah, you don't. I, I didn't, yeah, exactly. Right. You know, a rescue friend. Yeah, you know what. You know, I feel like I'm about to turn this around and you're like, Stuart, Stuart, do yeah. you need a rescue friend? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you just made me think of a very close yeah. friend of mine who I haven't really thought about in those terms, but certainly in my schooling, yeah. he was 100% my rescue friend. Rescue he friend. was the person who went, this is fucked, right? And I was like, oh God, yeah, I thought it was me. Exactly. And you didn't have that guy. I did not have that person. I had the, I had the, this is awesome, right? Well, I don't know. Fuck you. I had those, I had 30 of those people, you know? If you, assuming you mm-hmm. continue to become more and more successful in comedy and are afforded opportunities and start to become one of the big, glitzy, successful comics, yeah. I'm just interested in, in whether that is compatible with wanting to stay away from the comics table. If someone like Maria Bamford, yeah. a hero of yours, absolutely, yeah. I, mean, I think she's incredible. I, I'll never forget her on stage at, at, uh, Just for Laughs in Montreal two years ago, right. looking at the audience and saying, I didn't even want to be here tonight. <laughs> I mean, just, just incredible, yeah. unforgettable. Um, but, you know, she is someone who is successful, but still on the outside. Yeah. And if you were to become as successful as you, as you could, yeah. what's the relationship between that success and the comics table, the kind of the industry, the, the glitz, the, the rest of it? Well, okay, there's the comics table, and then there's the, then there's the comics corner. It's like they're two different things, or the comics bar stool. There's, there's, there's always the comics table where uh, every club has one where everybody, you know, there's the, the alphas sitting at the table and then and the betas standing around hoping to be an alpha one day and then the, the rest. And then, but then there's, but then there's the group within the group down at the end of the bar standing, you know, four of them standing around a fucking bar stool having their own conversation. That's where I exist. That's where, because no one's paying attention to our conversation, and our conversation, I guarantee, is pretty good. Is it better than what's going on at the comedy table? I don't know. I'm not listening to what the fuck they're talking about over there. It's the back of the classroom again. Exactly. Only now there's some friends. Exactly, exactly. So it's like, and I and, and I don't active. I don't. I wouldn't say I actively avoid the comedy table because the comics table because it depends on the comics. Sometimes you walk in there, and other comedians like myself have got have sat down at the table. So now it's like, oh, I'll sit with this crew. I like these people. You know, we can t- we're talking actual ideas. We're talking actual, we're fucking rapping about just fucking what's going on. Tell, yeah, we're talking. But then sometimes you get at the comics table and you realize it's like, oh, this is another show. This is just another show happening. This is just another, you know, fucking. It's everyone. an opportunity for yeah. the people who are at the top. Right, right, right. And yeah. it's, but then you realize you're, the people at the top avoid that table as well. Believe you me, I've seen it, you know, at the comedy cellar where you walk in and like Louis C.K. sitting at the table and then you see 45 minutes later that 
the words got out that Louis C.K. sitting at the table. So he gets the fuck away from the table. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bill Barr, I think, just pff, could give a shit about the table. You know, uh, like you said, Maria Bamford. There's a level, too, where it's like you realize the table is great until someone notices it's the table. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's a, there's a club in New York... I love it. It's called The Stand. No affiliation to the clubs here called The Stand, which are the, the ones here are fucking fantastic. Fantastic clubs as well. But the one in New York's same name, different owners, different logo. But uh, it's a great club. And that comics table is great because it's, it's not like a designated comics area. It's just this area that everyone, the comedians all just kind of end up gravitating towards and sitting down and there there it just becomes more it feels way more like a natural fucking hang and it's beautiful and it's just like bam but then every now and again you'll notice like uh oh everyone realizes all the comedians are here now and there becomes this natural sort of disbursement I swear to God, it's this weird thing where everyone's like, all right, five or six of us go step outside to have a cigarette. Some people go over here to order drinks and now it's like disperse all right, don't, yeah. okay, they're not paying attention anymore, back. Because then it's just like, but then you go to like the Comedy Cellar, which is, you know, a great club as well. Obviously, it's Comedy Cellar, it's historic. That has like a designated comedians only, yeah, no right. one else fucking even come near here if you're not a comedian table. And like I said, sometimes you go to that table and it's four or five other comedians that you fucking like and you're chatting. Sometimes you go and it's like, I can't even get near it because there's a ring of fucking sycophants just standing there at the table and waiting for their opportunity to be like, hey, uh, you know, hey, uh, Lisa Traeger, I love you. Or that, maybe not, not, not that sycophantic, but, you know, like, a, hey, Lisa, saw you on the show. You were great. And then like, a, oh, hey, Michelle Wolf, Awesome. Or like, a, oh, hey, you know, Dave Chappelle, who's sometimes there, you know, oh, Mr. Chappelle. It's this it's not the comedian's fault. It's, this, it's that ring of fucking betas who just that ring of. I don't want to say betas. That's fucking mean. That sounds very... It sounds a bit game. It sounds a bit, yeah. That's not what I mean. But, you know, that ring of sycophants. This ring of, like, people who would rather go to a club and just hang out and hope to get noticed by someone more successful as just a person than go to a show and work on their craft. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a thing you see a lot of in New York, and it drives me insane, and I do not understand that mindset at all of more important to hang out than to go work on your fucking joke what are you dumb what the fuck is wrong with you what are you what are you trying to become are you trying to just become someone's opener for life are you trying to just hang out in an entourage or are you trying to actually be a fucking comedian if you're good they'll notice you you know what i mean believe you me any comedian will fucking tell you they're going to notice you faster if they see you have an awesome set on stage because you've gotten good than they will if you just are always hanging out at the same bar and, you are, and you're aware of what everyone else is up to. In fact, most comedians hate that fucking person. Mm. Anyway. Let's just talk about getting good then. Okay, yeah. Let's talk about, the, we've got about five minutes. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the decisions you made that creatively that now you can look back and go, oh, that was one of the ways I got good. Oh, I mean, I would say, and again, I just want to firmly put this stamp on this right here. Everything I'm saying is just what I think. Because I know, you know, I am also, if you look at my career trajectory, you know, where I am now, like, I, I, I'm, I, pff, there are people... Pff, 
way more successful, many more, way more successful people than me in the States and way more like in slash hot slash whatever, you know, comedians in the world that they're just going to be successful no matter what. I sort of exist on this outer trail that, you know, uh, I do what I do though. But I do know that all that matters uh, to me is being a good comedian. I, I pay no mind to all that bullshit. Sure, I'm, to I'm all the lists, absolutely. right? So the, getting good for me just means creatively. Just I don't. I don't like to rest on my laurels, right? The the moment a joke gets to a point where it's a a closer, I guess you you know I I, I get to work on the next one. You know, um, I've, I write as much as possible. I do. I write as much as fucking possible. And sometimes that means sitting down in front of a notebook for half an hour and just getting too frustrated and then having to leave. Or sometimes sitting down for four hours and the day's gone, but pff, you got some new bits, you know? Um, and do you, have a, do you have a particular strategy to get you out of those blank notebook times? Push yourself through it. Just push yourself through it. Just understand that something you write might be fucking garbage, but... You never know. Sometimes garbage can be recycled. Huh? And you build a goddamn house out of it for people, for homeless people. There you go. How about that? Because believe you me, I do not kill my babies. That's a thing everyone likes to say. Do not, you know, you got to kill your babies sometimes. I don't believe in that. Send them, just put them in a back shed, you know? Then come back. Like, sometimes a joke that may not work today, if I fucking believe in that premise enough, I will wait. Because I believe your sense of humor evolves as you do. So I, some of my best fucking bits that I have today are bits that five years ago I could not make work. And a year ago, I just was like, hey, what about that? And then just was able, because my sense of humor evolved, it's like, ha ha And now it's ready. See what I'm saying? What's the most satisfying part of your current show? Most satisfying part? Yeah, like technically to your comics brain, like you're like, yes, that. You know, like I nailed that idea or that's the funniest. Oh, man, that's an interesting one because, I w you know, you want to say the whole show. But I'll say because you've seen it and I won't be specific, but what I close on. Because that is something I've for years have just thought was fucking funny based on what I've seen in, in the city that most people were just like, what the fuck is this? But finding a place for it, some, where it actually fits. Can you give us, I know what you're talking about. Can yeah. you give us a bit more? I know you don't want to spoil it for anyone that might see it. It's, 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 it's this character I do at the end of the show who's a very crass, very crass individual. Um, and says some very ridiculous, crass things that are just borderline absurdist. And I, it's based on a, a guy I used to see a lot in New Orleans. And um, I would just always kind of do this bit, and sometimes it would make people laugh, but most of the times a lot of people were like, I don't, I mean, this is, this kind of fucking seems like a crazy person. But finding a place for it at the end of the show where it kind of wraps up the whole theme was just like, oh, thank you. Whatever comedy gods or cosmos there is out there, you know? Thank you, I've made my sacrifices. Or, or me, thank you, me, for fucking working hard and finding it. But either way, it, yes, the most, that's the most satisfying part, is just getting and having an idea that years ago you were like, I don't know if I'll ever find a place for this, but I fucking love it, and I'm just going to continue to do it. And now it's like, oh, the thing you end your Edinburgh show on and it somehow gets everyone to laugh and then wraps it up perfectly. Ha ha ha. 
told you don't kill that baby. I told you it'd be worth something one day. <laughs> so that was Sean. Thank you so much, Sean, for coming along and being on the show. I really enjoyed that conversation. So exciting to talk to someone so impassioned and with such a unique viewpoint on the whole art and craft of the whole thing. That's what we're all here for. So thank you very much to Sean. Thanks, of course, to The Place Hotel for uh, allowing us a little bit of recording space. Do check it out if you're a baller and you've got some cash to flash and you're staying in Edinburgh. Um, do donate or buy a T-shirt. You've got one week left and then the T-shirt deal is over forever. And then we need to get someone else to design us an amazing T-shirt. Or we need Polly to do it again if she wants to. She's put such great work in. Um, we'll, uh, we'll need to... Well, she definitely gets first dibs. She's my official artist. But um, uh, we'll do it again, but like not till next year or probably even two years. I don't want to be chucking a T-shirt at you a year. That seems excessive. But, um, but this is... That's your last chance. So a couple more days and then your only chance will be to grab one from my clammy paw I nearly said sweaty I nearly said suitcase um, to grab one from me when uh, when I'm on tour if you come along to some of the tour dates so it's the tour dates forward slash tour it's the merch forward slash merch it's the donations forward slash donate and remember if you can't do any of those things if you choose not to or if you're a million miles away um, then I would be enormously grateful if you'd like to support the show in a different way maybe by telling a friend or telling several friends or telling an entire class apparently did I mention this apparently they're teaching this now <laughs> uh, hello to you if you are listening at any of the courses or um like a sort of uh, casual comedy courses or indeed university type uh, degrees in stand-up comedy who are or seem to be using this podcast as a, a textbook. <laughs> Hello there. Thanks very much for listening. Um, uh, wouldn't it be nice if you convinced your tutor to donate to the show uh, in recognition of all of the lazy, lazy hours that they've managed not to teach you anything by simply setting listening to this as homework? Um, so it's very glad. I'm very glad to have you all on board. Um, do feel free, though, to support the show with a review on iTunes or on Castbox Podcast Addict, Pod Addict, is it? Or wherever else you get your podcast. Stitcher, Spreaker, I believe that's a thing. Acast? Acast, is that right? Um, so go along to all of those places, leave such reviews uh, as are possible to leave, and um, generally spread the word and get more and more people involved. It's all good for Stu. That's all for now. Next week, oh, we're still spoilt for choice. I've got so many good ones in the can. Will it be Sarah Kendall? Will it be uh, Anne Edmonds? Oh, as a corker. Will it be Julio Torres? Oh, my goodness. So many great ones still to come. Uh, thank you for listening. If you'd care to stick around, I will chat to you some more in what here at the Comedians Comedian Podcast we call the Postamble. And if you are uh, not interested in some other stuff going on in the world of my life, then feel free to sign out now and I shall speak to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Okay, so let's deal with a lovely uh, email that I got regarding the Reginald D. Hunter episode. Um, uh, I think you might have over-explained in a ridiculously self-conscious way in the afterlog... The Afterlog. Hey, that's not bad. That's the postamble, the Afterlog. Yeah, fine. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I've, I've clipped the wrong bit out of this email, and now I don't know where the original email is. Basically, someone is calling me uh, a massive sexist, racist sex offender, but I think they're doing it in a fun way uh, to gently mock me for what they saw as me being a little bit oversensitive in my discussions of 
uh, the Me Too campaign and misogyny in general and men's responsibility to stand up and call it out and recognise it in themselves and recognise it in their friends, in other men, even if they are your friends. Um, there's there's a lot to talk about there. And uh, thank you for so many of you. A lot of you got in touch to tell me how much you enjoyed the Red Hunter episode. Um, some of you got in touch to uh, rebuke me in a very gentle and, and polite way about the use of trigger warnings on the show. I don't know that I'm going to go into much more detail about that. I, I do accept that Reg used the F word, not the word fuck, the other F word, the horrible homophobic slur. He used that and he used some other horrible words as well. Um, and although I absolutely don't want to sanction what he said by not having picked him up on it, I'm sure you will understand that in in what i'm doing here i'm not just it's not just banter with someone what i'm trying to do in these in these interviews is try to get a sense of a person try to get them to open up i think that really that really worked with the with the red hunter episode and i think it would really interrupt that process if every time my subject if i can sound a bit uh, psychiatric about it if every time my interviewee said something or used a word or an expression i disagreed with if i stopped them on it if i interrupted them then that would get in the way of the process and I, I don't think I'm wrong to to think that um then they with a conversation moved on to whether therefore I should include trigger warnings for such slurs and I don't the answer is I don't know I do accept that people are upset by hearing things like that and I I appreciate that people are upset by them but I still think it's about incongruity I think that a trigger warning is necessary if something is going to be incongruously offensive and I think when dealing with when dealing with adults doing stand-up comedy it is not incongruous that some people have offensive views or opinions it's it's congruous I'm afraid so I I don't mean to be all hey life doesn't come with a trigger warning. I just think that it's it's a can of worms, isn't it? Because as soon as I start saying there's a trigger warning now in this episode because this person says this, I mean to be honest, there is a huge administrative cost to me, which will start to render the process much much harder, and we'd have to probably do fewer episodes because of the the time required to sift through the the content. Um. I don't want that to happen, and I also there's lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons. So apologies if you were if you were triggered, uh, then then I'm sorry for that. Uh, likewise, if you were offended by anything in that, which is the same thing? Question mark is it? Um, then I'm sorry for that. But some of the stuff is offensive, and perhaps I should have. Certainly, I don't want people to hear someone using homophobic slurs on this podcast, and for you to think that that means I'm fine with it. At the same time, I don't think any of you think that. So that's where I am at the moment. I am happy to have a continued, a continuing conversation about that. Um, I really am. Hi, this is hashtag thanks Daryl, the person who edits ComComPod. Uh, first time I've had to do something like this. Uh, but basically, for some weird reason, the episode corrupted here. So you, you may be one of the people who pointed this out to us. Thank you very much. Very kind um, for spotting it. The original recording of what Stu says next is gone. Um, so just for a little bit of context for what Stu next talks about is that he's talking about the fact that he's transitioning between the different phases of writing an Edinburgh show. He makes that quite clear next. 
the phase of cracking open the new notebook and writing next year's Edinburgh show, which will become the following year's tour show. And, um, and I, so I sort of took a picture of the first page of my notebook, which you can look at uh, next to a, a, a quasi-ironic flat white. Um, and I'm pleased to say that three writing days in, uh, I have, uh, I've started to go, okay, okay, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can do it again. And the next phase, um, is to assemble all of the stuff I've been thinking for the last few months and, uh, was it all on stage at Hell Week. The first one of those is on Monday, the 27th of November. So a little way off yet. I've got plenty of time to think of funny things. I've got plenty of time. Monday, the 27th of November, that will be at um the bill murray the bill murray and angel and the tuesday the 28th and wednesday the 29th of november at the top secret comedy club in drury lane in covent garden so both of those as you know brilliant clubs a very exciting attitude both of those clubs towards new forms of comedy clubs and new ways of making comedy work um and i'm really happy to be in both those places i think they're all quite early shows i think they're all 7 p.m shows but do do double check on the show websites or you can see the links on my uh Stuart goldsmith comedian facebook page um and uh come along to one of those the shape that that took last year is the first time i tried it last year it's basically i have a load of index cards with a load of really semi half to non-formed ideas semi slash half formed um and i talk through them and try and make them funny and it's if you enjoyed everyone's a comedian if you watch that on the the facebook live uh uh stream or if you were there in the room it's a bit like that except i'm using my own stuff so the desperation to make it fly is even greater and in all honesty it's a lot less uh organized so um so come along to those those will all be a lot of fun uh they will be sometimes painful always invigorating and uh definitely a thing that you will have seen so i hope you come along to to one of those that's it for now i think I think I've spruiked at you all that I'm a spruik for now. Um, I've been really enjoying... I, I really enjoyed... It. It's nice that the elements of the Reginald D. Hunter podcast... There's all sorts of elements to it, obviously. Um, and certain of those elements meant that there's been a huge amount of correspondence, like a big bump in the correspondence. It's so great to hear from all of you. You can get in touch with me, info at comedianscomedian.com or at comcompod on Twitter. Uh, or join the Facebook group, as I've said. I've been really enjoying your correspondence, and I'm really feeling very satisfied at the moment and very nourished by the feeling that there is a, a wider community of people who enjoy the shit that we talk about on this show. Oh, that'll do for now. Little, little sincere bit there at the end. Speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 